We're in our series of wanting to have a life of impact. And uh, what we've been talking about is this idea that in order to have a life of impact, you have to allow yourself to be impacted by God. Because if we just stay the same, if we just kind of go through life the same, we'll, we will limit ourselves to the amount of impact that God can uh, uh, do through us. And so this whole series, we've been talking about allowing God to transform us so that we can then have an impact on, on, on those around us. We've talked about transforming uh, the next generation, impacting the next generation, and we've talked about impacting our neighborhood. And so uh, this morning, I want to give you something that you can do right well, you could do it right now, but we're in the middle of church, so we're going to wait until you go outside. There's something you can do Everybody can do to have an impact on the kingdom of God. Every last one of us can do this thing. And it's it's fantastic because we all have the, it doesn't matter. You might be a brand new Christian. You might have have walked in here and said, I want to follow God. You know, what, what can I do? Well, there's something you can do that will impact the kingdom of God right when you walk out these doors. You can do it at home. You can do it at school. You can do it uh, in the workplace, in your neighborhood. The other great thing about this thing is that it doesn't matter what your spiritual gift is. This goes beyond spiritual gifts. So if you have the gift of encouragement or teaching or uh, helps or um, uh, prophecy or whatever, you can speak in tongues. It doesn't matter what your gift is, you can still do this. It's not limited to anybody. Guaranteed impact on the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what your strengths are. Maybe you took the strength finders test and your maximizer or adaptability. It transcends all that. You today, walking right out those doors, can have an impact on the kingdom of God. The other great thing is it doesn't take any time. You can have a big impact in just five seconds. Just five seconds of your time. It just, it only, it just, and anybody can do it. You could be young. You could be old. It, does, it transforms, it transcends all that. Big impact on the kingdom of God. Do you know what it is? It's gossip. I didn't say it was a positive impact, did I? No, okay, no, it's a negative impact. It's gossip, it's dissension. Only takes a second, anybody can do it, and you have an impact on the kingdom of God. A negative impact on the kingdom of God. And God is so interested in this topic that he speaks quite a bit of it uh, about it in, in the scriptures. And he gives his opinion on it. And see, so what, what, what I'm talking about, and we've seen this before, we've seen it in this idea of dissension, this idea of unrest, the idea of talking about others. We've seen it in our own homes, at least I know I have. So in almost every case, it starts out small. It starts out small. Here's what it looks like in my house. Somebody has the laptop, okay? And they're looking at the laptop, whatever they're looking at on the, on the bless you, they, whatever they're looking at on the um, uh, internet. And then the one kid will come behind the other kid and peer their head over. Tiny, I mean the smallest little infraction. Nothing. And then that person will go, get out of here. Escalates it just a little bit. The other one will get out of there, but then take his, not his hand, their hand, <laughs> and brush the back of the neck of the, her neck, right? Right? All of a sudden, ah, 
stop it. Escalate, 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 escalate. Until finally, people are screaming at each other. There's, you know, the, 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 the moral compass of everyone has completely been dislodged. And people are being accused of the most atrocious things that have ever happened in a family. Now, what happened? They looked over the shoulder. It was no big deal. Have you seen this at work? Where somebody, you know, they've got two co-workers and one says something and the other person takes it wrong. And all of a sudden they're taking lunch at different times. They don't want to talk to each other. They're going to the boss. If these days I'm going to, you know, all this whole type of thing. Escalate, 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 escalate. You've seen it in neighborhoods. One neighbor cranks his stereo. The other one cranks his stereo. And finally they're, you know, throwing eggs at each other's house. It, it it's always starts out small. The, the little thing. That just the little unrest, the little thing, begins the dissension in our families, at our work, in school. Have you seen it happen in school? You have a couple camps of people, and one says something, and they dress different, and then all of a sudden, these two camps of people can't stand each other. Nobody can go back to the original thing. Well, God talks about this in, in his word, and he gives his opinion on this. And you know what his opinion is? He hates it. God hates it. In Proverbs, he talks about this. It says, six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And he goes through haughty eyes and proud heart and all this kind of stuff. And then in verse 19, it says, a false witness who pours out lies in a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. You say, well, pouring out lies and stirring up dissension... That's, that's kind of big stuff. It always starts out small. Always. The other thing I've noticed about dissension and wherever it is, at home or in workplace or at school or in the church, uh, it, it always starts out small and we mask it with passion. See, I wouldn't normally say this, but I'm so passionate about the topic. And that seems to cover over how we speak. You know, so I can, oh, you know, I, I wouldn't normally say this, but I'm just, oh, it's the issue so important. And what happens when we start talking like that is we get invested. And once we get invested, what starts out small, but then we get invested, well, the natural progression is neither camp thinks they're wrong. It started out small, something stupid. We've seen this even in the church. I read about a church this week that split over the piano bench. They had a piano bench. The church had been around for a long time. They had a piano bench that had been there from, since 1923. And they began to, um, one group of people wanted the piano bench gone. Probably the piano player, because, you know, he's like, whoa, you know, because it's so old. I don't know. I don't know who it was. But there was one camp. All of a sudden, the piano bench became this big deal. So what they did is they, they divided into two services. One service has the piano bench, and the other service does not have the piano bench. Now, now, here's the thing. This is what, now listen, this is the greatest thing about this story. We're all just seconds away from it happening. We're, we're all just, it's so funny when it's somebody else. When it's not your marriage, not your church, not your group of friends. But it starts out small and innocent. And it grows and it festers. And soon, the very church you loved is splitting over... Who knows? Because it wasn't the bench. The bench was the looking over the shoulder. It was 
feeling disrespected, not being heard, not whatever, whatever the bigger issues are, but everybody became so invested. It couldn't, I can't be wrong on this issue. I'm too passionate about it. So God says he hates it. Here's the point for the sermon this morning. Our words can damage the kingdom of God. Now, theologically, that's technically untrue because God already knows what's happening and all this kind of stuff. But our words can limit the impact that God would have us have in our lives. Our words can actually have a negative impact on what we're trying to accomplish in our marriage, raising our kids, at work, in the church, at school. Our words carry a lot of weight. And just in a second, we can unravel things. Did you know that God is at work in your marriage? He's working in your marriage. You say, not my marriage. He is working in your marriage. God is working at your work. And you say, well, you don't know my boss. I don't have to. God is on the move. He wants his kingdom advanced. God is working in this church. He's, he's working in our neighborhoods. And, and we can limit what happens by our careless words, by not watching our tongue. Now, I want to show you a very famous section of scripture that we're going to go through. <clears throat> and, you know, I was funny when I was doing this sermon. I realized we had gone over this section of scripture like six months ago. So this should all be reviewed for everybody. James 3.2 says this, we all stumble in many ways. I love James because he's right to the point. He doesn't hold anything back. It's true, right? We all struggle in many ways. We want too much stuff. We want our own way, all this kind of stuff. And James is just saying, look, this is the way it is. We all, we all struggle in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. James is saying, on this issue, on our mouths, if we can control it, there's no stopping us. As a church, if we can control our tongues, there is no stopping us. If we go into our workplace with grace-filled words, if we go into our homes with grace-filled words, into our neighborhoods, with gra- there is no stopping us. If we can control our mouths, we can control it all. It's basically what James is saying. That's how difficult it is to control your tongue. So he, he gives this, he gives this uh, example then, and he, he gives two examples. In verse 3, <coughs> excuse me, he says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So God's, uh, I mean, uh, James is saying this. Just the smallest things can have a huge impact. And I I don't know if you've ever seen this. Maybe you've seen it in your relationships where you just made one little comment and... Right? Just one little thing. One tiny little... Well, if you would just... Well, if you would just... Let's give it three more words. Eight words can just blow up a situation. Or if you're a kid in school, nice jeans, two words, nice pimple, you know, whatever it is to hurt the person, right? Because we all remember, don't we, being young, some of the things that were said to us that we've carried on, maybe by our, our, our mom or our dad or by an old boyfriend or girlfriend or something that just really, man, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you've got that stamped on you. It's just a small thing. I watch in verse five, likewise, 
The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire is set uh, on what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Man, you see some of these beautiful forests, lush green, and one little spark wipes it all out. All that growth done. This is why God hates it. This is why God is asking us as followers of him, control your tongue. Watch what you say. It's dangerous. The tongue also is a fire in verse 6. A world of evil among the parts of the body. That's an incredible statement. The tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Now, I'll give you an example, and then we'll move on from here uh, out of James and into some other scriptures. The internet to me is a world of evil. Like there's an element to the internet, not, not its design or anything like that. I use the internet every, every day. Right? But there's elements of the internet. I have a 10-year-old boy. I don't ever want him to see ever in his whole life sexuality, violence, uh, racism. I, I, want him, I don't want him seeing a lot of those images. So what I do, we have this thing called a filter. And, and what happens is, and, and in our house, on our computer, it, makes a, it literally goes, when you... you uh, so, so you're, 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 you know, you're typing away and all of a sudden, eh, and I know that there's a, now again, they're not trying to get on things. We have it set pretty tight. So a lot of times it's like, I want to get on Facebook and I got to go in and put in a code and all this kind of stuff. Why? Because I know the potential danger of the inter- internet. I know how evil it can really be. Now, listen, guys, if we get this concept and we can put it into practice, It's going to change our lives. This is what he's saying. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. And then he goes through three things. It corrupts the whole person. What you say can corrupt your whole being. And we've experienced this, where we say something, we own it, then we begin to become impassioned about it, and now it begins to eat away at us. Well, you know what? If they didn't, and it begins to just eat away, eat away, eat away. Soon it's the only thing we can think about how we were wronged, how we were whatever. And so our words, as we begin to kind of let ourselves go in this thing, it just gets us and our whole body's corrupted. Then it goes on. It sets the whole course of his life on fire. Can you imagine? The, think of the impact you can have when a few words you can set your whole life on fire. And isn't that scary? Isn't that scary to think, man, if I'm at work and I let some stuff slip or I lose it, I can set my life on fire. And it's not the good kind. Like if you're playing basketball and you're like, dude, you were on fire. It's not that fire. It's the bad fire. Thanks, Nate, for getting that one for me. Right? So listen, hold on, it goes on. And is itself set on fire by hell. Guys, James is talking to Christians, <laughs> okay? This isn't like the prophet Isaiah going out. You know, it's just, this isn't like doom. This is Christians, guys. If we don't watch our tongue, what we say, what we Facebook, what we email, what we tweet, what we text, 
we can, our words can do damage to the kingdom of God. The very work God is trying to do in your marriage can be completely wiped out or stunted because of our words. What God's trying to do in your work, and it seems so crazy, you know, you don't like all the people, and just the workplace is so frustrating, and all that, God's trying to do a work there, in your school, God is trying to do a work in your school, and sometimes if we don't watch what we say, we can end up doing damage there, a work that God wants to do in the hearts of young men and young women, if we don't guard our mouth, we can do damage, we've all seen it, right? You've all experienced it probably. In our church, God is trying to do a work in our church. And if we don't watch our mouths with each other, it can, it can be stunted. So what are we going to do? What kind of filter can we put in place? What kind of, uh, in, what kind of eh, can we put, kind of get it in there so that when we go to access those words, when we go to process those thoughts, when we go to type those things, we get a little kick. And the verse I, I've shared here before, it's one of my favorite verses, is Psalm 141.3. Set a guard, set a, set a barrier, a content barrier, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Essentially, control it for me. You know, this is the idea of taking every thought captive. We, we capture the thought. And then when it goes to come out, we say, God, do you want to release it? And God says, who's there? It's me. Just wanted to say something. What is it you want to say? This, uh-uh. The gate is closed. Okay, now how do we do that? I want to give us three quick things that are for those, uh, you know, mature believers who this, never deal with this. Just uh, stay with me. Um, the first thing is to have a defined standard of speech. See, I don't know if you're like you, if you're like me at all, but I love to try and come up with situations, hypothetical situations where it would be okay for me to do this. That's where the whole passionate thing comes. Well, you know what? I really do need to speak up and say something. Here's the standard of speech. And this is so clear and so great that we can just apply this standard, this filter, to everything we say, everything we write, everything we text, okay? Somebody asked me this this last week, Pastor John, is cussing wrong? And I said, no, cussing's not wrong. Which, of course, you know, I do that just to get a rise out of people. Like, wait a minute, what? And I use this verse. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Okay, now, now that's, that you said, well, that isn't that cussing? I don't know what it is. It's no unwholesome word. The great thing about this scripture is the scripture now says, it doesn't matter what that is anyway. Here's what you should have coming out of your mouth. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but... Only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. That's your standard of speech. That's my standard of speech. So yeah, if you want to cuss and it's good for edification it's cor- according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to go- all those who hear, go for it. If you, I, don't, I don't know. Think about it. Go through, don't go through the words in your mind, but just think about the situations. Well, was that... What is that? So somebody after first service said, what if I hit my thumb with a hammer? Uh, you know, and again, okay, well, is it good for edification? You know, 
It, it might be. It might feel good. Uh, according to the need of the moment. Yeah, yeah sometimes, uh, you know, if you've hit it hard enough. So that it will give grace to those who hear. Uh, I don't know. You'll have to apply the standard. But this is the, this is the standard. This is the filter. When we read our texts and we go, that's eh, a good for edification. Is it according to the need of the moment? Does it give grace to those who hear? Our emails? What we speak? At work? At, at, at school? See, this, is, this, this takes away all the, you know, you're with your friends at school, and they start talking about somebody else. It's just really easy to go, man, is this edifying? Is, is it good for the need of the moment? Is it giving grace to all of us? Hey, guys, I don't know that this is what we should be talking about. Anyway. Have a defined standard of speech. The second thing is focus on the positive first. Okay, I have, a, I have a boss. Yes, Jesus is my boss, but it's not Jesus, okay? I also have a superintendent that's above me, and he, he's, in, he's, he's in charge of all the churches in our conference, which goes from San Diego uh, up to Bakersfield. Okay, so we have all these free Methodist churches, and, and uh, Denny Wayman is our, is our superintendent, and he's my boss, and he meets with me once a month. And we meet by Skype because he's up in Santa Barbara. And I know what Denny's going to ask me every time he talks to me. He asks the same question. It's the first question that he ever asked me, and I've adopted this pattern myself. He says to me, John, tell me all the great things that are happening at Living Spring. So it doesn't matter what I'm going through at the time. Like if I have some negative things I really want to talk to him about because I'm, I'm, I'm being a baby. I have to go through all the great things that are happening at Living Spring. Can I let you in on a little secret? There's a lot of great things going on at Living Spring. So I never get to the bad stuff, which is so frustrating. (laughs) Because we spend all this time on the positive. I don't have any time for my pity party. Like, you know, somebody did this or somebody said that or we don't have enough of this or what. We never get there. He's like, okay, well, hey, I'm glad everything's going great. See you later. I'm like... Yeah, but I had some negatives, you know. Yeah, don't go, right? <laughs> Philippians says it this way. He says, Paul's writing to this church in Philippi, and he, at the end in verse 4, it's like he's just going, look, finally, I, I've said all this stuff, three chapters worth of stuff, finally, guys, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence in anything, let your mind dwell on that. That's, that's the filter. And so the way it would look like is this. I'm talking to my buddy, and uh, I just got into a big argument with my boss. At, not Denny, but if I were at my old job. <clears throat> big fight with my boss. The guy's a, you know, jerk. He, could, he couldn't manage his way out of a paper bag and all this stuff. And so I get on the phone and I follow this thing. You know, I'm going to just go through all the positive things first. Um, yeah, so I was talking to Joe. <sighs> um, he dresses very nice. He's, got, he's a good dresser. Yeah, he, um, he's really articulate. I think the guy's real smart. I don't know where he went to school, but I really, I, I, he went, he, yeah, you just go, go, now you say, oh, you don't know my boss. There's nothing good about him. That's impossible. That's impossible. There's nothing in scripture that backs that statement up. So you begin to just go, well, you know, man, the guy's been married for eight years. He seems to love his wife. That's good. Yeah, I like his kids. I, positive. Number three, get a job. 
is number three. Get a job. Oh, let me give you the verse so we know we can put this in context. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Basically, here's what's happening. It's a very sexist section of scripture, so you'll love it. Um, what was happening at the time was there were these widows that, ha- that were being p- part of the Hebrew law, p- part of the Old Testament, part of Ju- uh, uh, Jewish law is that you take care of the widows and orphans. It's, it's the job of the community to take care of the widows and orphans. And this continued on in Jesus' day and it continued on after that. And what was happening was these young, younger widows, would, their husbands would die and they'd get put on this list for the church to take care of them. Which is fine, except for that list, you were saying, I'm not getting married again. I'm going to devote myself to the work of Christ, but the church takes care of me and my family. Sounds like a pretty good deal. The only problem was, the young widows would be put on the list, they'd, get, they'd, they'd be working for the church for a little while, and then they'd start seeing some young fine thing, and then it'd be like, hey, he could take care of my kids, he's a strapping young lad, and you know, hey, hey. How's it going? Oh, it's going good. You know, and he start the whole thing and then they'd get hooked up and they'd leave. So the church is taking care of them. They said, I'm not getting married anymore. And they they broke that commitment. That's what's going on. And so Paul is saying, don't put the younger widows on the list. Give them some time to see, can they really hang? Okay, that's the setup. Then he goes on. He says, besides they get into the habit of being idle and going for about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips. And that word for gossip, there's three words for gossip in the New Testament. It's amazing. One is to whisper, which we normally think of as gossip. You know, hey, there's so-and-so. Did you hear they're getting a divorce? You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, then, there's, then there's a word, diabolos, which is where we get our word diabolical. Okay? It's the same word for devil. So sometimes you'll see diabolos used for gossip, and other times you'll say your adversary, the diabolos, the devil, seeking whom he may devour. Same word, okay? That's another word. Then there's this word, and it means to boil up, to throw up bubbles of water, okay? So it's like when they speak, it's just nonsense. It's empty. It's about this or that or it has no kingdom value okay it's portions of facebook i wouldn't put it all on there and not only do they become idlers but also gossips and busybodies same thing they ought not to now listen here comes the sexist part the part you're all waiting for so i counsel younger not me that was paul i would just paul said i counsel younger widows to marry to have children to manage their homes and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander that's the whole barefoot and pregnant thing and that's why people don't read the bible because it says stuff like this basically this he's just speaking to the culture this is what you did as a young woman in that culture so he's not saying for all and of eternity the only thing a woman can do is get pregnant and work in the house okay he's saying essentially get a job Get so busy in the kingdom, you're not worried about what anyone else in the kingdom is doing. Right? If I spend all my time reading blogs and arguing with people who are running churches in other areas of the country, what in the world? I can't do anything there. If we're spending all our time worried about who dresses where and how that and how this is run and this is, get involved in something, wherever it is, at work, at home, at church, that will keep you busy enough to be quiet. So that you can really see what it's like and then begin to go, okay, I think I can add value to what's going on here. 
This happens in the home. It happens in our neighborhood. We just sit around and we talk about all the neighbors. Get a job is what Paul's saying. Here's the great thing as the worship band returns. I want to kind of end on a positive note. Um, The Bible also talks about what happens when brothers dwell in unity. And again, this is, this is at the workplace. This is in, uh, you know, at school. Imagine at school, you're at a place where you're with your group of friends and their whole focus is to unify, is to build up, is to edify. That would be phenomenal. Imagine if at work, your job was to go, you know, my, part of what I'm going to do, because I'm tired of talking about my boss, I'm going to work, I'm going to take a job on to just bring unity and edification to my workplace. Imagine if you did this at home. You say, you know what, we're going to work really hard to make our household unified. What, this is what it says in Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. And then it goes into this weird, like, cultural thing that it's hard for us to identify with. (coughs) Excuse me. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. It's It's this idea of just opulence in the kingdom. We kind of get this picture when we see Mary anointing Jesus with perfume and wiping uh, her tears on his feet. This idea that there's just like devotion, there's unity. It's like, it's like an offering. When we have a church that's unified, it is a blessing to God. When you have a family that's unified and we're all, it is a blessing to God. Now here's the great thing. This verse ends with a sentence. It says this, for there, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. God bestows his blessing on unified environments. And we have an opportunity as followers of Jesus Christ to do great damage for the kingdom of God with our mouths or to bring great unity and building and growth with our mouths.